And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. You are just moments away from the latest episode of The Bridge, paging Dr. Bogotch, paging Dr. Bogotch. That's coming up in just a moment. Our podcast is brought to you by Quest Trade, Canada's fastest growing and award-winning online broker. Tired of getting dinged with fees every time you buy or sell U.S. stocks? Well, good news. With Quest Trade, you don't have to. You can hold U.S. dollars in your trading account and avoid expensive, forced conversion fees every time you trade U.S. stocks. Switch today and get up to $50 worth of free trades. Visit questrade.com to open an account and use promo code QUEST. Conditions apply. Looking for a way to zhuzh up your dinner options? With 21 flavorful recipes every week, Chef's Plate ensures dinner time will never be boring. Our menu includes easy and quick 15-minute meals and favorite classics, including vegetarian options and more. We don't compromise on the yum factor. Each Chef's Plate box comes with pre-portioned ingredients, measured out perfectly for your meals. Say goodbye to wasted produce and hello to saving money. Go to chefsplate.com and click the sign up button and apply the code the bridge. That's the bridge for 50% off your first two boxes. Well, it's been almost two months. It was September 27th to be exact. So a little shy of two months, but it was a long time ago that we last checked in with one of the most respected epidemiologists in the country, Dr. Isaac Bogotch, who's been a regular on the bridge over the last couple of years as we've tried to make sense, gauge our actions, make decisions with expert advice. And Isaac Bogotch has been the man for us, the doctor for us, amongst a group of doctors in Nova Scotia, from Alberta, from Ontario, who have helped us on this story over the, uh, you know, 20-plus months now of the pandemic. And Dr. Bogotch is going to help us again today. But first, a little scene setting as to where we are, because as I said, it has been a long time. Since we last checked in on the big picture of this story, trying to get a sense of, you know, where are we right now? in the fight against COVID-19? And what should we expect in the near future and perhaps beyond? So let's, um, let's set the table in a sense in terms of where we are right now in terms of the numbers, the stats. You know, and they are, um, they're, they're difficult to look at and they're difficult to listen to and they're difficult to read. Since the pandemic began in Canada, as of this past weekend, 29,309 deaths. So you have to look at that number and the rate at which we continue to have deaths as a result of COVID-19 and assume that probably by the end of this year, we are going to be looking at the 30,000 figure in Canada. And, you know, that is a pretty horrific number. But that are, that's the reality of the situation that we have been facing. What does it mean in total cases? 1,745,349 cases. 
in different parts of the country. That's the total. And there's still about 25,000 active cases in the country. So those are your, you know, your, your kind of basic numbers. There's been a lot of talk, and you've heard it, about how protected are you if you have the vaccine, if you've had two, two doses of the vaccine. Well, here's what we know and have always known. The, the vaccine does not give you 100% protection. There is still the chance that you can catch COVID-19. The virus can still invade your body. But the odds are against that happening. But they're not 100% against that happening. So looking at the Government of Canada numbers... On the cases following vaccination. All right, and it, this breaks it down. So let me go through this for you. 82.2% of those who were unvaccinated make up the numbers in terms of those who have caught COVID 19. In other words, of those of the overall number that have ended up as a case of COVID-19 since vaccines were available, which is almost a year ago now, 82.2% of those were unvaccinated. Eight out of 10. 5% had been vaccinated but were not yet protected by the vaccine. Remember, if you get a vaccination, it takes 14 days before the protection kicks in. So 5% ended up catching COVID-19 after they were vaccinated, their first dose, but before the 14 days were up. almost 6%, were only partially vaccinated. In other words, they'd had their first vaccine. They had yet to have their second, or if they'd had their second, it was once again still within that 14-day window after the second. 6.9%, almost 7%, were fully vaccinated. that they had been determined to be a COVID case after the 14 days period of their second dose had taken hold. So that's the number, okay? That's the main number. 6.9% were fully vaccinated and were under the assumption that they had done everything right and yet they still caught COVID-19, which brings you back to the original statement, if you will, that it is the vaccine does not give you 100% protection. You could still catch COVID-19. And that's why you'll have, you know, doctors and everybody else tell you, you got to keep your mask on. We're not into a no mask period yet. That's why when you get on an airplane to travel across the country or around the world, 
you're only allowed on the plane if you've been double vaccinated and have proof of that, and yet you still have to wear a mask. Even on an airplane, one of the best sources of air, clean air, fresh air, anywhere in the world. What airplanes go through to pump continuously clean, good air into the passenger cabin is quite something. But you still have to wear a mask. All right, so those are some of the... uh, Listen, I, I could spend an hour going through all the different numbers for you, but I wanted to give you the very basics. Where we stand in terms of overall numbers and where things look for those who are vaccinated, fully vaccinated. But there's lots more to this story to try and get a proper update on where we are. And that's why we've reached out to Dr. Bogach again. The good doctor is at the uh, University Health Network in Toronto, teaches at the U of T. He's on a number of these science tables, uh, certainly with the provincial government, but I think also he's an advisor on the, the federal scene as well. And, of course, he's talking all the time to his own colleagues, epidemiologists in different parts of the country, and, as it turns out, in different parts of the world. Because when I reached out over the weekend to talk to Dr. Bogach, he's always been either in his office at the university or at the hospital or at home. Guy never stops working, just like so many of his colleagues over these past 20-odd months. But he wasn't in any of those places. In fact, he wasn't in Toronto. He wasn't in Canada. He was overseas. And I tracked him down in Brussels, Belgium. And there's a story in that too. And it it crosses a number of the areas that I love to talk about. So let's, uh, let's take a quick pause. And when we come back, We'll talk to Dr. Isaac Bogach. Our Black Friday sponsor is The Economist. If you don't already know, its expertise lies in making sense of the world's most important developments. It offers completely independent opinion and analysis, giving you a balanced global view of an issue instead of a biased or politically motivated opinion. And don't be fooled by the name. It covers pretty much everything from culture to science and technology, from politics to finance and business. It's Black Friday. Get 50% off the annual digital subscription to The Economist. This gives you access to the website, their app, podcasts, newsletters, webinars, and more. It's a great offer, and we think it'll make a difference the way you see the world. There's a reason world leaders read it. We hope you will give it a try. Just visit economist.com slash bridge50 to get 50% off your first year, including full access to the app and economist.com. That's economist.com slash bridge50, where 50 is a number for 50% off your first year to enjoy The Economist whenever and wherever you want. Looking to cook smarter and faster at home? 
Chef's Plate dinner boxes give you back the time spent on meal planning and grocery shopping by delivering everything you need to cook delicious meals right to your door. Each Chef's Plate box also comes with pre-portioned ingredients measured out perfectly for your meals. Say goodbye to wasted produce and hello to saving money. Go to chefsplate.com, click the sign up button and apply the code the bridge. That's one word, the bridge, to get 50% off your first two boxes. If you have type 2 diabetes, it might be time for you to have a heart to heart with your own heart. There's no sugarcoating it. Type 2 diabetes affects more than just your blood sugar levels. It can impact many parts of your body, including your heart. If you have diabetes and a history of heart disease, there are medications that, along with diet and exercise, can lower your risk of dying from problems related to your heart and blood vessels. Talk to your doctor today and visit myheartmatters.ca to learn more. Brought to you by two of Canada's leading pharmaceutical research-based companies. You're listening to The Bridge with Peter Mansbridge. All right, so there's there's so much to talk to you about in terms of the of this trip that you're on. Why don't we start in the Ivory Coast? What were you doing there? <laughs> we're going there. Yeah. So yeah, no, I was in the Ivory Coast uh, this last week. I've been working there, believe it or not, since 2001. Uh, I've got some very uh, good friends and colleagues that are in public health and science there. And you know, we work on screening and treatment programs for various uh, infectious diseases of public health significant. A lot of these are infections that we don't see in Canada, lots of malaria and lots of um, intestinal parasites and worm infections. So we run screening and treatment programs and look for better, more efficient, smarter ways to do it. So that's, that's where I was. And I'm, I'm halfway home now. Okay. Well, you know, it is COVID an issue there. Uh, I mean, it's an oh. issue everywhere, but is it like a bigger issue in Ivory coast? Is it typical of what's happening in Africa? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, this first thing I walked off the plane, uh, you know, I was chatting with my, my friends and colleagues there. It was in Abidjan, everyone's wearing masks and, um, but, but still, you know, you've got about, was about four or 5% of the population vaccinated now, and they've got some increasing access to vaccines, but of course, uh, access is slow. And what's interesting, again, this is all anecdotal, but, uh, you know, obviously there's that a group of people that are certainly eager for, for vaccination uh, and, and, you know, what limited they have is going into arms. And you hear similar stories too, uh, that, that we've, we've battled uh, and, and what you've seen in the United States, there's been some rumors and some hesitation as well. Pardon me. That's my alarm. But yeah, I mean, uh, so they have a little bit of that as well, but I mean, obviously they don't have remotely close to the amount of vaccines that they, they need. Um, it's tough. It's tough in, in the countryside. It just my own, uh, observation was that, you know, I was the only one wearing a mask. <laughs> no one was wearing a mask. Uh, once we got out of the uh, big city, um, everyone I was working with had been vaccinated, but they're all healthcare providers and scientists and, and doctors. So, um, yeah, it was just an interesting observation, obviously very sad. I think the take home point is we need to continue to really support global vaccine initiatives like COVAX because there's billions of people that need a first and a second dose. How how did you feel personally about uh, your own situation while you were there? I mean, with, with you being in some cases the only one masked, I mean, that must have been, that must have felt pretty, pretty strange. 
I mean, I honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't so bad. I mean, uh, it is what it is, right? You know what you're getting into. I, I think if you talk to healthcare providers, actually, I shouldn't, I can't speak on behalf of all healthcare providers. Many of us who worked on the hospital wards, you know, in the pre-vaccine era, taking care of COVID patients, you know, you put on your mask, you go and do what you do. You do what you're, feel, what you're comfortable with. You avoid situations you're uncomfortable with. I got to say though, I don't think I was in any situation that I was very uncomfortable with. I, the most people that I was with were, were masked most of the time outside of the uh, big cities. Oh yeah, no masks. But I, I kept mine on in indoor settings. A lot of the work we're doing is outdoors as well. Uh, like we're setting up labs underneath, you know, trees and villages to, uh, you know, conduct these screening and treatment programs in, uh, in areas that really don't have traditional access to uh, care. So, you know, most of the work is pretty safe anyways, because it's, it's outdoors. Did it make you, think about uh, the situation back home in, in terms of the difference, uh, like what we have, what we're going through, how we're dealing with it compared with what, what you saw on the ground there. Yeah. I mean, we are so incredibly privileged. We are so incredibly privileged to be debating third doses in Canada, you know, when it's very obvious that there's just so many people that need a first dose in so many parts of the world, mostly in low income and low middle income countries. I mean, we are so lucky, you know, or, you know, we're talking about, you know, vaccinations for the five to 11 year olds is taking too long. Really? Like it's going to be a week or two. Yeah, I get it. Maybe it could be faster, but like in the grand scheme of things, a week or two, like give me a break. We will, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. Um, I know many people might disagree with me on that, I might not have the same self-control in this interview because I've been awake for about, for about 20 hours in transit. So I'll try to keep it together. But yeah, we're doing just fine in Canada from a vaccine front. And the issues that we're debating are still important, but it's small potatoes compared to what other other places are dealing with. And and what is their, you know, what is their their, their greatest need right now? Is it is it simply vaccines on on the ground there, or yeah, is it a better understanding, vaccine. or what yep. what is it? No, nope, they need vaccines. Listen, they have very strong public health. Like, I think a lot of people underestimate many African countries. They can do a lot of good with the limited resources that they have. Uh, and they're champions at vaccinations, right? They can get the vaccines to the uh, different parts of the country and, and then disperse them through the various health outposts throughout the country. You know, there's, you know, measles vaccines and, you know, all the other routine childhood hepatitis B vaccines. And we were in some pretty rural remote parts of the country and you see the public health posters on the dispensaries, uh, you know, and, and, and people coming in for the routine MMR, measles, mumps, rubella, and hepatitis B vaccines in childhood. Like, they've got systems, they've got expertise, they can do it. They just need access to the vaccines. I think some people think that they, you know, they wouldn't even know what to do if they had the vaccines. Nothing could be further from the truth. They're very skilled. Like, many of, many of these low-income countries are, are fantastic at vaccination programs. And, you know, polio, all these other nationwide vaccines, they're, they're, the coverage is fantastic. What about information or disinformation and misinformation? Is it as big an issue um, 
in the places you visited as it is increasingly here. I mean, there's a whole nother round of it this week, uh, both in, in the U S and in Canada, uh, yeah. concerns about full disclosure. I tried my hardest just out of pure curiosity. I tried my hardest to get to, to really address this and ask a lot of these questions. I don't know. And I don't know because it's my fault. My French is terrible as they say. And a lot of the communication is either in French or in other local languages. And I just can't get the subtleties. So, you know, of what I ask, sometimes people say, oh, yes, we hear rumors of this or someone hears rumors of that. And, you know, but I just I just don't know to what extent I know it's there, but I just don't know to what extent. Okay. Um, So you're. You're sitting in Brussels as we do this interview. And, you know, <laughs> any, people who listen uh, to my podcast know that I love airline stories. I, you know, I, there's a thing about airplanes and airports and airlines that has always intrigued me. Um, so I'm fascinated by the reason you're stuck in Brussels right now before you can get back to Canada. So tell us that story, because this is not a oh. COVID, this is not a COVID story. This is not a pandemic story. This oh. is an airline story. <laughs> Yeah, geez. I mean, I'm trying to, I miss my family. I'm trying to get home and works down on Ivory Coast. Uh, it's a bit of a haul. We were in a, you know, as the crow flies, it's not too far from the main city, but I was, you know, it's about an eight hour drive in the Ivory Coast to get from where we were to Abidjan, which is the, not the capital. It's the main city. Uh, and, uh, you know, you got to get a COVID test to get on the plane, which don't even get me started. That was a hassle get on the plane all night flight to uh, from Abidjan to Brussels because Brussels airlines has some excellent West African connections for anyone who travels to West Africa. That's, this is a, one of the airlines to be on. And then uh, a couple hours in Brussels, get on the flight, air Canada, take me home. And <laughs> it's, it's going to be a Brussels to Montreal. And then a quick stop in Montreal to Montreal to Toronto. So uh, we're, we're uh, driving on the plane. I don't know what the right word is to get heading over to the runway. And then the pilot <laughs> gets on the intercom and says, Hey everybody, sorry, there's a crack in the windshield. Uh, we have to pull back. We gotta see if we can get this repaired. And then of course the plane stops and everyone's looking out the window. And then you see those buses pull up to take passengers off. And we're like, uh-oh, this is bigger than what, what it sounds. Short story long, they gotta repair the windshield. The flight's not leaving. I tried calling, like, could I go through London, Frankfurt, Paris, Lisbon? nothing's going to happen today. So I, I'm sticking it out in Brussels for a day and going to head back tomorrow. And like, you know what? I'm exhausted. I've been up all night trying to work on an airplane overnight, but I'm just going to drink Belgian beer and eat French fries and waffles and chocolate and uh, make the most of it. <laughs> well, they make good chocolate. There's no doubt about that. And their beer is not bad either. I'm um, oh, yeah. not sure how well those two things mix together, but nevertheless, uh, <laughs> you got to do something with your time while you're waiting for the, yeah. the windshield to be fixed. Um, you mentioned one thing uh, that also intrigues me, and that is the, uh, you know, the testing you have to take before you get on the, the flight from uh, Ivory Coast to um, uh, to Brussels. And I, I bring this up because, you know, I was, I was just in, um, in Scotland and the PCR test that you had to do before they'd let you uh, get on an Air Canada flight were um, 
unbelievably expensive, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is for a double vax person uh, who's got no symptoms, uh, nothing. Uh, But nevertheless, you have to do it. And within 72 hours of flight departure. Uh, Was that the same situation that you were faced with? Yeah, I'm actually calculating. I've got a a currency converter from the uh, West African uh, CFA to Canadian dollars. So I paid, and this wasn't tourist fees. It's, it's, it's the equivalent of about 55 bucks Canadian for a PCR test in the Ivory coast. Like talk about a barrier to travel 55 bucks in the Ivory coast. Like, you know what that gets you like that can go a long way, but you need a PCR test. The other interesting thing too, was, you know, it's, it's not a small country. Like it's a big place. There's, you know, lots of people there. It's very streamlined. There's only a handful of places where you can get these tests done prior to travel. And you're, you can't get on the plane without showing it. And uh, and you have to sign up online and pay online like it is. There's no way to, to cheat the system. So they, they do a great job. The, the issue is in, in a pretty big country, the only few labs that you can do this in are in Abidjan. So if you're in, you know, Yomasukro or Buake, like these are other big cities in, in, in Cote d'Ivoire, you gotta, you gotta drive to Abidjan and then it takes about 48 hours for you to get your results back as well. So like it's, you know, the convenience factors out, but of course you, it's, it's a fortune. There's a lot of barriers. I think we're seeing this everywhere, even in Canada. Like if you want to go cross-border shopping, you know, drive to wherever you are, maybe Buffalo, or if you're in Alberta, Sweetgrass is the border crossing uh, to go to, to go to Montana. Like, you know, that's, I don't know what it is. It's, it's about 200 bucks uh, just to cross the border and then, and then come back. So, yeah, I don't know if they're doing this as a disincentive to travel or if the policy just hasn't kept up. Or well, I'm not quite sure what the reasoning is. I think, you know, we could pivot to rapid testing, which is cheaper, readily available. Um, depending on who's doing the test, it's a little more palatable as well. You don't really get that swab way back in the brain. Did you have the very far back PCR no it, 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 no it was uh it was just it was basically like the rapid test in, in the nose but they also did the throat That's- but it was oh. you know 55 bucks that was a bargain i should have gone to ivory coast in scotland <laughs> it was 170 pounds per oh my person. god yeah so it was like 300 bucks each that's insane uh, absolutely insane um i uh, leave canada i went to shoppers i think that's the going rate and that was uh i think it ended up being about 200 bucks to leave i had a pcr test like yeah. it's a fortune it is a fortune and it, it, it i don't know it seems like a scandal of some kind to me but well you uh, know what like it's it it turns this into, I mean, here I'm way over my skis. I can talk infectious diseases, but I got opinions on other things. Like it, it's like the, so who's going to travel? It's the wealthy, right? It's the people who can afford it. It's not, it's, it's a, it's not, it's not fair. It isn't fair. fair. And you know, the, uh, I saw a lot of the uh, Canadian mayors along the border uh, crossings uh, on it this week, trying to convince the federal government that it's time to, um, you know, to drop that requirement because it is, uh, you know, it's crazy, especially, you know, if you're just crossing the border to shop and then coming back on yeah. the same day. And I mean, it's don't, like for whatever reason, even if they don't want to flick that switch and say, okay, we're not doing any testing, you can at least do a rapid test or something like that. But I, I think the other important point is you can't travel if you've got COVID full stop. Like I, I still see the need for testing, but 
you know, A, it can be more affordable. B, you can use that different, te- a, a rapid test and, and C, it basically answers the question you're really seeking to answer. Are you contagious to others at the time of travel? Uh, yes or no. So I think a rapid test would be a very reasonable pivot because it sort of checks a lot of boxes um, and it is accessible in most part, in most parts of the world. Okay. Um, let's get around to what we normally talk about <laughs> when you and I get together that's and that's really? kind of where we are. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming you're, you're up to date, even though you've been away because you're, you're in constant contact with your people and you, yeah. you, you're on various science tables or, there's got to be a book in those tables. Like there's got to be something fascinating about that story beyond the science of it. It just sounds, we sit at the science table. (laughs) There's got to be something interesting that happens there beyond the discussions of infectious diseases. But beyond that, where are we as of here we are in the, in, in, in mid November, where, where are we? Well, you know, it's pretty clear that things aren't getting better. They're getting worse. I, it's the crystal ball obviously is a bit foggy. You look at other highly vaccinated places, some, some, uh, you know, similar to Canada in some places you see infection taking off Germany, Netherlands, for example, um, in other places you see it holding, holding steady. Um, you know, there's a lot more to this than just the percentage of the population that is vaccinated, although that certainly has a lot to do with it. A lot of this is also human behavior. Are you masking? Are you, you know, back to pre-COVID behaviors? Or are people still taking some precautions? And, um, you know, it, it was pretty clear. We knew, I mean, we knew in the summer that cases were going to go up eventually in the fall and winter. Our September and October in Ontario and not all of Canada, but in Ontario was fantastic. And in many other parts of the country was pretty good as well. Quebec had a decent September, October as well. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to get a rise in cases. How, what the amplitude of this wave is, I don't really know. Um, will it truly result in fewer hospitalizations, ICU stays and deaths? Yeah, I think it, it, it will. Uh, it doesn't mean that we won't see hospitalizations and ICU stays and deaths. But remember, wave one, we saw nursing homes just destroyed. Wave two, we failed the most vulnerable yet again. And and our nursing homes and long-term care settings were just destroyed. Wave three was crickets. Nothing, nothing happened. That's where the deaths were in wave one and wave two. It was awful. Wave three, nothing. Barely anything happened there because they were all vaccinated. And now that we're in wave four, at least in Ontario and I think much of the country, most of those individuals have had uh, third doses. Um, they're eligible and they're getting their third doses. Doesn't, but, but then on the other hand, yeah, there's a lot of community dwelling seniors and people who are vulnerable in community settings that have even have not received a first dose uh, as well. So, you know, we've got a very transmissible Delta variant. I think it's still debatable whether or not Delta causes more severe illness or not. There's some Canadian data that says it does. There's some American data that says it doesn't. It's just more transmissible. But regardless, it's very transmissible. More people are going to get infected. If you're not vaccinated, you're probably going to get this at some point. I don't know when. It might not be in the next week or two, but certainly over the next year or two years plus, like people are going to get this. Um and, you know, it's not unusual anymore to see young people get in ho- get hospitalized because of it. So that's a long-winded way of saying 
it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better, but I don't know how bad it's actually going to get because a lot of how bad it actually is going to get depends on us. Are we wearing masks? Are we ventilating? Are we going to continue to push first and second doses in unvaccinated adults? When do we start to get first doses into uh, five to 11 year olds, which will help at a community level? How will our third dose program roll out and will we uh, will we get to more vulnerable people? So a lot of these are a lot of these are political and policy decisions that will determine the amplitude of this wave that we're in right now. What is your thinking on the on the third dose and on the uh, uh, five to eleven year olds? So for five to eleven year olds, like let's do it. Uh, obviously, people can make an informed decision for themselves. I know that many parents are chomping at the bit to vaccinate their children. Others are hesitant, and others are going to say, "I'm never going to do this." fine. As long as you're making an educated decision for your kid, you're doing the right thing. I mean, there's too much information for a conversation. I've got two kids in that age bracket. They're going to get vaccinated. And, uh, and I know many other people are going to do the same. Yes. I'm well aware of what the risks are. I'm well aware of the potential for myocarditis, but I'm also well aware of what, what COVID can do as well. So, uh, I'm vaccinating my kids. The, um, you know, some parents still have questions or concerns, Fantastic. That's totally okay. That's totally normal. I mean, but we've got a bit of a gift of time here. You've got a couple of weeks or a week or two before Health Canada gives it the thumbs up. So go sit down with a family doc or a pediatrician, whoever looks after your family and get those questions addressed in the next week or so. Because once they say yes, I think we're going to see this roll out pretty quick. In terms of third doses or boosters, whatever we're going to call them, third doses is probably more accurate. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm glad NASI made the decision and and that they did. I think they had the right recommendations, right? They started vaccinating ages ago, very vulnerable people in long-term care facilities. They started vaccinating people with immunocompromised conditions. Now we're vaccinating community, depending on where you're in the country, community dwelling seniors. They, they've made the cutoff 70 plus, um, you know, uh, indigenous communities. Like these are all, this is all smart. And what we'll see with time or what we'll hopefully see with time is a gradual widening of the umbrella in terms of who's eligible for that third dose. It's pretty clear for people listening. This is probably a three dose vaccine for most people. Maybe not for everybody. Like I can't look you in the eye and tell you, you know, does a 12 year old or a 20 year old need a third dose? Like I have no idea, but you know, a 50 year old would probably need a third dose at some point. So, you know, I think we'll probably see a broadening of the umbrella of who's eligible and, you know, we can also respect, sorry for going on and on, but it's important. You know, we just, five minutes ago discussed the tremendous inequity of vaccines and countries that have very, very limited access. You can respect the WHO's moratorium on widespread vaccine third doses. We can, we absolutely can. Uh, They asked for a widespread moratorium on third doses uh, until 2022. And uh, they said they're okay with select populations at risk getting third doses until 2022. And I think we can have Canadian policy align with the WHO's request and not have, you know, third doses for everybody and, and just really keep it to, you know, appropriate, but still narrow, uh, well-defined groups who would benefit from a third dose. Like I wouldn't start giving it to, you know, 30 year olds or anything like that in, in the 2021 calendar year. I don't think that's necessary, nor is it ethical, but you know what, if you say that in a public setting, you're going to get a lot of different vocal, strong opinions on this. Um, if you had to take this trip next week, the one you're on now, um, would you take it given what you're seeing happening around the world? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this boils down to individual risk perception, risk threshold, risk tolerance. Listen, I'm, I'm fine with it. I, I, you know, where, where are you going to get COVID? You're not going to get you. It's less likely to get COVID on the actual plane. The planes have phenomenal ventilation systems. Everybody's masked except if they're eating and drinking, like you can get COVID on a plane. It's just way less likely than many people think. And a lot of that's driven by masking and good ventilation. You just got to have your head on a swivel, like uh, at the bottlenecks in travel, you know, how do you get to the airport? How do you, uh, where do you, how do you go through customs? How do you get on the plane and off the plane? Like where are the crowds? Uh, and, and, you know, can you avoid those, those, those crowded settings? And, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. Uh, but I appreciate that some people might not be ready to, to take that step and that's okay. We'll, we'll all get there at our own pace. Um, you know, the, you, this, this question is the kind of one that you'll look at me and say, Peter, you know, get with the program. Things, things have changed as if we're living in a different world. But when I, you know, when I read the history of the, of the 1918-19 flu, the last great pandemic, um, that's basically how long it lasted, 1918-1919, a little bit into, into 1920. Uh, this one, with all the scientific advances that we have in our world today, it seems to be never-ending as opposed to that one. That's a great question. No, I think you're totally, I wouldn't say you're off your rock for that. I like this is, this is great. Uh, a couple points. One is that flu never really left. It just morphed into a flu that is integrated into our seasonal flus. Uh, but yeah, it, it did merge from pandemic where, you know, tens and tens and tens of millions of people died to something a little more benign. Um, still the flu and it still kills, but it wasn't as, you know, it, it certainly shifted. Um, I think we have to remember that there's definitely similarities, but there's also differences as well. Like this is a coronavirus. It's not an influenza virus. And, and, you know, there will be similarities in the sense that there will be, you know, a hallmark feature of pandemics are waves. Right. And, and this is no different. We all we're talking about is waves, 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 but, but at the end of the day, this is a, a different virus and the properties might be different and the mutation might be different and the virulence might be different. Uh, the evolutionary pushes might be different. So, you know, we get what we get and we got to work, we got to work our way through this. I think we're, you know, even though people are, uh, frustrated and upset that cases are going up, you know, I think we also have to remember that, yeah, the, Delta variant stinks and is driving a lot of this, but also think about where we'd be without vaccines. Like, can you imagine if we didn't have, you know, 80 high percent of our eligible population with the first dose of a vaccine? I mean, we would be getting just pounded right now. Like we would be getting throttled by this virus and we're not, we're not like we're just not because we have so much vaccine uptake and yeah, we'll slowly make our way through the, you know, remaining whatever percentage of people who haven't got that. Of course, we're never going to get to hundred percent, but there's still uptake. And then we'll expand to the five to 11 year old crowd. And like, it all helps. Like it, it, it all helps. And I, you know, sure. We're going to have some peaks and valleys throughout the winter. We are, 
We absolutely are. But, you know, I think throughout the winter as well, you're also going to see a few things working in our favor. Third doses in vulnerable populations and expanding third doses in um, in the 2022 calendar year to younger and younger groups that, that need it. I, I don't know what the cutoff is, but, you know, it's certainly going to be 50 plus and, and maybe even expand beyond that. Uh, you'll see those five to 11 year olds. Many of them will get vaccinated as well. Like this all pushes us in the right direction. I think people... You know, everyone's annoyed with masks, but for the fall and winter, most people are just going to wear their masks, which is a very reasonable thing to do. And I don't think we'll see any um, major shifts in policies where people will prematurely declare the pandemic over in Canada. Yeah, it might happen, but I think we've seen that happen twice already and everyone watched and hopefully learned their lesson there. And, you know, maybe by spring we'll be on the tail end of this thing and and all will be well. Maybe we're on the tail end of it now and our winter is going to be you know, mildly annoying, but not horrendous. I don't know. When you say, and just as a, to close this out of the a final question, when you talk about how, you know, that flu of a hundred years ago morphed into basically something that we're still dealing with today. One of the reasons why, you know, that and others, one of the reasons why we, uh, we have an annual flu shot. Um, there's an increasing discussion that there's probably going to be an annual COVID shot. You buy that? Yes. You think I don't so? know. So short answers, I have no idea, but here's total speculation. Please don't hold me to this <laughs> as I'm just talking about adults, not kids. Cause I'm not going to pretend to know anything about kids. Number one, we're all going to get dose one, dose two, and the third dose. Most adults will probably benefit from a third dose. This is pure speculation. Listen, I, the short answer is I don't know, but I, I really think after that third dose, it's going to be it for a while, barring, you know, a completely new variant, which I don't think is really going to happen. I think the variants can gradually and slowly chip away at the effectiveness of the vaccine. But I think it would be really unlikely for a variant to emerge like that, where all of a sudden the vaccines just don't work. We have to redesign these vaccines. So, you know, we might have a gradual erosion of effectiveness over time requiring a booster years later. But again, that, that's just a guess. I, I, I don't know for sure. Um, as always, uh, learned a lot from uh, this conversation, uh, not the least of which is when you get back on that plane, check the windshield, right? Just, just you want to make sure. <laughs> uh, listen, safe travel home, and, uh, and we'll talk to you again, I'm sure, in the, in the weeks ahead. Thanks so much for this. Anytime. Looking forward to it. Have a good one. Yep. Well, there he was, Dr. Isaac Bogach. Um, and, you know, once again, uh, <laughs> I love the way this guy talks because it's, you know, he obviously has the scientific and uh, uh, medical background to say the things he does, but he also uh, talks in a way that we, we kind of get it and we, we understand, and he's very clear when he thinks he's, you know, as he says over his skis, that he's in an area where, you know, he doesn't have the expertise to give definitive opinion. And so he warns you of that, that this is just kind of his his take on on things. But um, there was, there's a lot in there. And I love the fact that we do this every once in a while. It kind of brings us, you know, up to date on, on his thinking and what he's hearing and what he's seeing. 
Um, and so uh, to have had this opportunity uh, so many times during the last couple of years has been, I think, a real benefit to all of us. Um, okay, that's it for uh, this day. Um, there was we look through the week tomorrow, we're back with uh, another edition of The Bridge. Wednesday, of course, is Smoke, Mirrors, and the Truth with Bruce. Anderson and Friday is good talk with Chantelle Bear. Maybe Thursday, uh, some letters from you. There have been a lot of letters over the last few weeks. They're all over the map on a lot of different things, and that's fine. Uh, you can always write me at the Mansbridge Podcast at gmail.com, the Mansbridge Podcast at gmail.com. And for those of you looking, and I get a lot of emails on this, uh, about more information on the book off the record, it still continues to do extremely well. and. Uh, hopefully it will f- through the next uh, few weeks because it's a great addition to your uh, your Christmas gift list, if you wish. Um, you can go to my uh, website at thepetermansbridge.com, thepetermansbridge.com, uh, and there's information on the book and how to get it. Um, if you don't uh, recognize the fact that you can just go to your local bookstore or you can go to any of the online booksellers and pick up your copy. Uh, All right, that's it for this day. I'm Peter Mansbridge. This has been The Bridge. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again in 24 hours. 